0: Passionate about broadcast media? Become a part of Broadcast Plaza, the number one broadcast media server on Discord, to discuss all about it with fellow community members and industry professionals, including your humble narrator. Broadcast Plaza, this is the place. Join today by going to the link in this episode's description or by logging on to discord.gg forward slash broadcastplaza.
1: This is a Sackland original podcast.
0: Today on the Zachary and Peaches Show,
1: it's Loving, Touching, Squeezing Week on the podcast. We'll be taking a look at Disney and Pixar's summer film Elemental and how the forces of nature come together in this animated family romantic comedy.
2: And the romance continues via text messaging and the music of Celine Dion as Adrian discusses about another rom com and love again. He has his honest take on the film and how it turned out.
1: All
0: this week, November 28th, 2023. Connecting from Orlando and Baltimore, it's all about animation, autism, and everything else. This is the Zachary and Peaches Show with Adrian Mata and Emma Settles
1: welcome to the Zachary and Peaches show folks I'm Adrian Mata
2: and I'm Emma settles
1: and uh we hope you've had a well if you celebrate Thanksgiving we hope you've had a uh, wonderful uh a week of uh giving thanks and all that but um anyway Emma how was your week how was your week
2: it's been interesting um not a whole heck of a lot of specific updates Thanksgiving was was pretty interesting um it, it, it was it was relatively good I, I enjoyed it So, again, minor family stuff in the way, but all things considered, it was a pretty decent day, thankfully. Um, Dinner was awesome, and I actually got to help cook a little bit this year, so that was wonderful. Uh, In addition to that, the craft fair is literally next week, so that's slowly but surely uh, rolling up. Can't believe how fast time flies. Um, So I just recently finished everything that uh, that I needed to... To get my uh, stand all uh, all fancy schmancy, both when it comes to holiday decor as well as um, all of the merchandise that I'll be selling. So, yeah, just wish me luck with all of that. And I can't wait to let everyone know uh, just how everything goes with, uh, with that next week. Other than that, I think... Uh, yeah, things have been relatively steady. Um again, I guess as the winter holiday season uh fast approaches, uh you know, that being said, it's been uh things have been definitely been a little interesting. And uh we're we're still not entirely certain what we're going to be doing for Christmas itself. Um again, due to just a bunch of stuff going on right now. And, uh, the fact that one or more of us may be needing to travel, um, again, I don't want to go into into really specifics, considering the fact that, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) this is an animation podcast, for crying out loud. Um, (laughs) yeah, that being said, uh, we're, we're slowly but surely figuring things out, and things should be, uh, should hopefully be uh be okay once the actual holiday season at least the winter holiday season rather rolls around uh adrian how about yourself i understand that you had a little bit of a home alone-ish situation going on with you this thanksgiving
1: yeah, I was a Filipino Kevin McAllister uh, for uh, this week. Uh, surprisingly, but um, well, I was supposed to—I was supposed to be going on uh, a family family vacation with, uh, with my mom, my dad, and my younger sister. But unfortunately, um, I had to work uh, my two shifts this week, or well, in the past week actually, um, over at Universal Orlando. So um, that was uh, that was pretty much about it. But. Um, yeah, but over at um, over at Auntie Anne's on Wednesday, over at Marvel Superhero Island, we were a little bit late to getting our all of our stuff uh, together, and so we almost started out with like pretzel nuggets. But we got slowly, we got we got everything. We slowly got everything uh, up in stock and ready to serve to to all the guests, and uh, it was just all touch and go from there. And then as far as uh, I'm concerned with the uh, with the interplanetary popcorn stand on Saturday uh yesterday at the time of recording. Um that was a nice, it was a bit of an interesting well I wouldn't say interesting but uh but it was kind of really a cool kind of a day so to speak. I was working I was working alongside another coworker of mine and uh you know they're they are a they're they're really um they're a cool bunch that's all I'll say but uh but it was kind of really interesting doing that uh stand and just kind of really you know going through it throughout the day with them for at least a good part of the day anyway until, um, until like an hour or so before I had to clock out for the day. So, uh, but yeah, nothing, nothing too interesting uh, other than the occasional times where I had to uh, take cash and whatnot. And, um, but, but yeah, everything was, uh, everything was okay. So nothing too interesting out of those two shifts. Um, I had a little bit of an excursion uh the day before on Friday when I decided on a whim to go over to Disney Springs and, um and I decided to have lunch over at Chef R. Smith's restaurant called Homecoming and it's basically this is basically a southern comfort kind of a restaurant with a bit of floridian flavor to it and uh, I did have a nice um, fried chicken sandwich and with some barbecue chips to go along with it kettle cooked and made fresh in house every day so that was fun so everything is like everything there is like pretty much made from scratch and and such but it was a really good meal and um and I enjoyed it. So there is that. And I also uh jumped on the virtual queue line for like three hours for Gideon's Bakehouse. And that is like the small bakery over over there that has had a lot of buzz and a lot of attention uh since it first opened a couple of months. I think a couple months or so back. Um I have to look up. I'd have to look up when it when it first opened. But it's but they have like a really they've had a large virtual they they've had like a virtual queue like almost I think every day. Not almost every day, but but pretty much every day they they had it because of the because of the amount of demand that they've had for their cookies and cakes. So I jumped on the queue line and then three hours later I was in the physical line for like about 15, 30 minutes or so and I was able to and then I gotta take home uh three varieties of cookies. Um there was the original um the original chocolate chip cookie then the the um, the Krampus flavor, which was a seasonal flavor that we we're offering um, for Ooh. I guess uh, I guess the the tail end of this month into December, and I that is a do- yeah, oh yeah, and it was a dark it's a dark chocolate chip cookie with with a strong mint flavor thanks to the uh, I think it's pronounced Andes or Andes mint
2: Andes a- Andes Andes mint. I believe.
1: Yeah, so that so Ooh. that one is a yeah, so that's a dark chocolate with the with the with mint. And I also took home the banana bread chocolate chip flavor as well, uh, in order um well I kind of wanted to get the box anyway with a trading card. And they also gave me a second trading card because I got the limited flavor um seasonal uh cooking, which is the Krampus. So uh so I got so I got to take home two for the price of one and the box to go on the two. So uh so there's that. And I might as well, you know, look at it for a little bit and just... Just, you know, go ahead and recycle it because um because there's not really much uh keepsaking for that one anyway. But but it is it is pretty cool just to uh, take home a little bit of that. The interior, by the way, it's like it's really it's kind of really cramped in. There's no dining space. There, all there is is a line and the display cases uh for, for the cookies and the cakes, and of course the uh the, uh, the counter for the cashier, as well. It's like all connected together. And the interior itself, it is a, it reminds me so much of Tim Burton's works, especially with the portraits and the hungover bookcases. Like it's something you have to see. And I actually have like two, I actually have like two photos that I'm going to send to you a little bit later. Uh, and oh, not, please
2: do. I the mean, way... <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Adrian.
1: Well, I was gonna say, I was gonna. Well, I was gonna say, I was. Gonna, I'm gonna send those two photos to you uh, a little bit later. It's not much, just the cookies and, of course, um, the cakes as well, and right. at least one of the cakes. Yeah, but, uh, but the interior itself, like you have, you have to jump into the virtual queue line and then and then walk inside and you know go through inside the uh, the small space to see it for yourself because um, because you are not gonna believe. You are not going to believe how much theming has gone into that, you know, this little big shop that is uh, Gideon. So uh, um, I would say for the aesthetics, I think for the as far as the interior goes, I think it is worth the hype as far as taste goes. I'm, to be honest, it is not that groundbreaking, but it is uh, but it is a very unique um, it is quite unique. You know, to say the least, with all the, I think with, uh, I tasted the original chocolate chip and the Krampus flavors. I haven't, uh, touched the, um, I haven't touched the banana bread chocolate chip cookie yet, but, uh, but I did, uh, let, uh, I did let my younger sister try one and she, uh, she said it's good. So, um, so I'll, I'll have to see about that. But, uh, but anyway, they're really good. Um, they're kind of really up there, a little bit up there, if not, I think up there and, and then some with, uh, with crumble cookies. But, um, uh, and I was talking with uh, with uh, with a couple guests in line, uh, Mike, uh, Juliet, and Tina. And they were kind of really they it was not their first time over at Gideon's but but they had They had been there before, but I was talking to them like, "Oh, what should I get? What should I get for the? You know, this is my first time here. What should I get uh, for my first time?" It's like, and so we kind of really talked a little bit like while I was in line, and decided I think I'll just get the original chocolate chip just to see how it is, and then probably get like the um, I'll probably just get a limited edition, uh, flavor to kind of really you know. See what that's like, and then, and then, of course, if I decide to come back, you know, maybe I'll try the other flavors as well, like one regular flavor, maybe another seasonal flavor, or two regular flavors. But, but, um, you know, it was just, it was just nice to talk to them, and you know, I didn't mention the podcast to them, but I've probably did in any way. But, um, but it was nice to talk to them, and I was able to come to my senses, like, you know, eventually, like through talking to them, like what I wanted to get from there, and so, um, yeah, it was a really cool. Just a nice little experience uh, as far as the ambiance and the food itself is concerned. And, uh, yeah, pretty good time. Pretty good time over there at Disney Springs.
2: Sounds like you did have a very good time. That sounds uh, sounds awesome, honestly. The fact that they have a bakery that's got a little bit of a burton sort of flair to it, I think, is uh, is really interesting. And I'm glad that they did something like that. Again, I think the, uh, the line, so it, it seems to be... Uh, both for the experience as well as the cookies, especially if, you know, the fact that you said they're kind of up there with with crumble, and I, I like my crumble cookies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm glad that you had a good time, and I'm glad you, you got an opportunity to just experience this uh, little slice of, uh, of Burton-esque fun and uh, tasty sweets at uh, Disney Springs.
1: Definitely. And uh, yeah, and I will send those two pictures pictures to you later on, uh, like to you personally. But um, but again, you won't believe what you know, what they've got over there anyway. So, you know, with the, oh, I'm with
2: excited the- to see it. I'm I'm very excited to see it. I mean, you, you just mentioned you just mentioned Burton and I'm out my my anything. It's like Burton inspired. My my interest is almost immediately peaked. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to see this place
1: yeah definitely um by the way um keep an eye on emma's socials um on demon art on uh why well, i don't have your fur affinity account listed there nor your art station account but um but, uh, i don't really we- do
2: much on art station it's uh <laughs> it's more of a portfolio
1: that's all right well I keep an eye on demon art and of course her fur affinity account what is your fur affinity account name by the way uh, giant peaches or something
2: uh, my fur affinity is Peaches, P-Pumpykin, Uh All one word, all of the P's are capital. Uh, yeah, if you want to follow me on that platform. If uh, any other furs are listening to this podcast and happen to have a fur affinity account, and you want to follow me there in addition to uh, to following me on Insta and DA. Um, again, I'm more active... At least slightly more active on da i post pretty much i post everything there um so yeah you're probably you're not really getting many quote-unquote exclusives with the exception of maybe a few more work in progress photos and um extra fursuit stuff but that other than that it's it's not really any specific exclusive art related thing but i'm i'm rambling here <laughs>
1: okay well <laughs>
2: you, just uh, yeah. if you want to follow me on fa
1: yeah, of course. Yeah, keep an eye on our socials for uh, for when the, when that craft is going to take place and when they're going to appear uh, as part of that uh, craft. Uh... Is it a craft fair or a craft sale?
2: It's a craft fair. We have they're going to be about um, sixty some odd vendors, and it's going to be at um, one of the one of my old schools. So I'm I'm looking forward to to doing that, heading over to the, uh, heading over there again and getting talk with some teachers and, uh, just new people over at my old stomping grounds and hopefully I'll, uh, if I have anything extra by the end of that, it'll definitely be up on my Etsy and I will let everyone know, uh, what specifically I have for sale remaining from that and what specific prices, um, are that these these items are gonna be um but hey if you're down in the southern maryland area come check uh, come check us out maybe i'll uh provide some info on my socials i don't know but yeah i mean if you're uh yeah just keep keep an eye out on all of the extra uh extra stuff that i don't sell and again as i said it'll be all up on my etsy and i'm looking forward to uh Making announcements if I have anything extra. Hopefully I don't, (laughs) but if I do, then if anything, you know, you might be able to snag a a print or some stickers or whatever else that I have remaining from that. So I look forward to uh, letting everyone know how that goes.
1: All right. Uh, Sounds good to me. A quick reminder that Universal Orlando's holiday festivities are underway. Whether you want to see... The balloons and floats at Universal's Holiday Parade, featuring Macy's at Universal Studios Florida, or experience Grinchmas at Seuss Landing. However, you decide to holiday, you do Yule. Tickets and other information uh, are available online at UniversalLando.com, and also um, there are some special experiences that you can book for yourself and for your friends and family. So, so you may want to look into that if you ever in if you ever get the chance to get into the. Orlando area and to experience much of what Orlando has to offer. Now, as notes this week, we're going to get right into our discussions about Elemental and Love Again in just a moment. Jared's going to tell you all about that as we head on to break here on the Zachary and Peaches Show. We'll be right back.
0: Next on the Zachary and Peaches Show. Loving. Touching. Squeezing is the theme this week on the podcast, as we take a look at the force of nature that is the Disney animated rom-com, Elemental. Adrian and Emma take a look at all aspects of this film, from its storyline to its eye-catching animation. And later, it's a love story through text message and Celine Dion herself. Adrian discusses another rom-com, Love Again, and gives his honest take on the live action movie starring Sam Hewen and Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Coming up after the break.
1: It's the must-listen interview of the season. It was a lot to take in, for sure. Jim Stanton of Studio 31 Media Archive sat down with me, Adrian Mata, to discuss about the troubles his YouTube channel has faced recently. Fair use, copyright laws, and archiving broadcast media are at the forefront of this cautionary tale.
0: Until this all happened, I've never had any issues with any party
1: before until all this, and I've been doing this for a total of 16 years. How did he respond, and what does the future hold for Studio 31? I feel like I'm specifically being targeted. My future of using YouTube might be an the and down. I don't think YouTube cares for its providers up. The Zachin exclusive, fair use, copyright laws, and archiving broadcast media. A conversation with Jim Stanton of Studio 31 Media Archive. Listen now on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for the Zachary and Peaches Show. To be honest, I wish I knew. <laughs>
2: Stay tuned for this week's question. Spotify listeners can reply through this platform's Q and A feature on their mobile device to have their say. You can also reply on Adrian's profile at AdrianMada26 on DeviantArt and Tumblr. For this episode's recap entry on both platforms, or through our show's Instagram and Threads accounts at Zachary and Peaches with your thoughts. We can't wait to hear what you have to say.
0: Divergent. In-depth. Unique. You're listening to The Zachary and Peaches Show.
1: Alongside Emma Settles, I'm Adrian Monta, and it is laughing, touching, and squeezing week here on The Zachary and Peaches Show. We're going to be talking about a summer film that wasn't quite necessarily a blockbuster, but still had plenty to talk about. That would be Disney Pixar's Film Elemental. Emma?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have... Talked, or at least, you know, speculated a little bit about this film in some prior episodes. I believe two prior episodes from our past season. And initially, at least my opinion of it wasn't very favorable. It was definitely sort of a, oh, Disney's trying to reinvent the wheel here sort of thing, as well as the fact that, you know, taking note of the fact that even though it's getting pretty decent reviews, at the same token though, marketing at least stateside seemed to kind of do it a bit of a disservice. Which we'll we'll get into the nitty gritty and the, the specifics with all of that a little bit later. But, you know, that's at the very least was was my initial read on it. However, after I finally, you know, got a chance to sit down and actually watch this movie, with, you know, with a fresh sort of focus and a fresh, you know, pair of eyes. I actually, it, it, it actually surprised me. Um, I think I actually liked it a lot more than what I initially thought I was going to. And um, it's funny, I guess we're going a little bit out of order <laughs> with with the notes that I have typed up here. <laughs> But uh, just starting with the fact that the film is is eye candy, but you know we'll get into more of that uh, as we as we actually enter the, uh, the the meat and potatoes, the the real discussion here. So that being said, uh, Adrian, why don't we introduce our audience this week to the plot of Elemental?
1: Let's embrace the light! The living elements of earth, fire, water, and air converge together in Mother Nature's metropolis that is Element City. Amber Lumen is set to take over the fireplace convenience store in Firetown, run by her father, Bernie, from Fireland. But her temper gets the best of her one day during its Red Dot sale, when she has an outburst inside the shop's basement, flooding it, and somehow summoning a city inspector and water element, Wade Ripple. Now, facing the possibility of getting Bernie's shop shut down, Ember and Wade have to work together to track the source of the leak and stop it. But in the process, they begin to realize how much they have in common with each other. So, can the two elements coexist in harmony without harming the other? Movie will answer that question, but uh, we're going to get into uh, as uh, the meat and potatoes, as Emma has uh, just said here. Uh, first of all... This is familiar territory that we're getting into. Zootopia talking about, you know, racism and xenophobia and also really being about a story uh about difference and embracing the difference and rather than ignoring it. So um so uh fundamentally um what you know how much of this story, you know, I guess what I should ask here, how much you know what is this how, how does this story, you know, embrace the different race um, differences in in that regard.
2: I think actually if you again if you're comparing it to Zootopia, ironically here, I at least I personally feel that elemental at least to some respect talks about racism, xenophobia, general hot button issues, I think a little bit better. Than Zootopia does, especially considering the fact that I, I think the fundamental difference between Zootopia and Elemental is not only the fact that they're you know they're they're discussing these issues differently, at least to, in in some respects, but how ultimately, at least what I what I personally gathered from Elemental, is that Elemental, as you said, is fundamentally a story about embracing difference rather than ignoring it, rather than erasing it. I think, at least after a point there, Zootopia kind of got a little bit, a little preachy and in your face, at least specifically surrounding the fact that, you know, focus more on what we have in common as opposed to what our differences are. While as Elemental, I think think it does a very good job on the aspect of trying to bring up the fact that, yeah, everyone is different. And yes, the world is not designed for specific elements. Like, for instance, as... Literally, Ember says it best herself. You know, Element City, in and of itself, isn't really designed for fire people. And that, that being said, that, that can also bring up connotations of accessibility, of ableism in some ways. Because here they have this world that's basically designed only for all the other elements. And then almost completely if not completely, actually, yeah, completely excluding fire people from existing in their society to the point where Ember specifically discusses a time in her life where she was physically banned from entering a space because of the fact that she was a fire elemental and that they were afraid that she would destroy the, the plant that she had desperately wanted to see Again, this this film go- talks about everything from At least, you know, brings it up to some degree From segregation, microaggressions The d- differences between one's cultures As well as how inter uh, even, in, even members of a specific culture Sort of butting heads with one another But in, in the midst of that, I think if we're focusing especially on like the dynamic between Wade and Ember, I think that once they finally have that, that, that really pivotal moment in their, their relationship where they physically touch each other for the first time and they realize they don't harm each other, but rather produce steam. I think, you know, obviously they both kind of had this connotation in their head that, you know, Wade could very well snuff out Ember, or Ember could evaporate Wade. And, you know, ultimately their quote-unquote love story could have ended in some sort of self-destruction in a lot of ways. As even Ember's mother specifically says in the film, elements... Can't mix. And that's you know, being the primary mindset between pretty much everyone that exists both in and out of Element City. But when they had that sort of pivotal moment, of course, you know, they they kind of had that moment of, oh, you know, look at what we have in common as opposed to what we have different. But at the same token, though, I think I don't remember who specifically mentions it, but there's there's a sort of a line in there that that at least hints towards the instances of rather adjusting the world and adjusting yourself to better be understanding and more compassionate towards people who are different from you. That ultimately, the the world that we live in shouldn't be a world that fears differences or tries to erase differences, even if it is in the name of Of peace and equality and and kindness and, you know, kumbaya, this film instead, I I think to some degree, has a little bit more of a nuanced understanding that yes, we need harmony and yes, we need, you know, people to be nice to each other and we need the elements to mix. But at the exact same time, we still can't live in a world where difference is completely ignored. Because, again, bringing it back to that whole line of Ember basically saying, you know, that the Element City is not built for fire people. So, had Element City been built more accessibly to fire people and had not excluded fire people from its spaces for the longest time, I think the both of them sort of realized that, you know, ultimately the world that we need to create is a world that, embraces difference rather than erases difference and in a lot of ways by realizing what's different between ourselves we are better able to come together and change the world basically try to make everything a little bit more adaptable and a little bit more kind to people who are not like us I mean, even at the end of the movie, you know, the fireplace is not exclusively a fire store anymore. They were literally catering to everyone. So, yeah, that being said, once we start as a society trying to cater to everyone and trying to acknowledge difference as a good thing, then I think that's where genuine progress is 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 going to get made. And I think you know, at at, the, at, the, at least to me, this movie does that. At least recognizes that take a little bit better than Zootopia did, at least from my perspective. With it,
1: it's kind of it's kind of a little bit interesting that we uh, that you kind of really brought up. You know how Firetown seems to be separated from the rest of Element City. It's kind of almost. It reminds me. Of the Chinatowns across the U.S., like spe- specifically in New York and in Los Angeles. You know how th- the Chinese people—they've—they've they've pretty much brought their own traditions and their own culture over to the United States when they emigrated, uh, when they immigrated from China all the way to um, to stateside. And um, it's kind of really interesting how they've really carved out, you know, their own unique place, you know, in society. But at the same time, you know they they have experienced you know racism and xenophobia, and they still do today, especially since uh, especially since the COVID nineteen pandemic, where it kind of really brought out the worst in people. But it kind of re- it's kind of really interesting to see to see you know you know it, it was interesting for me to be reminded of that particular realm within our own society. Anyway, so it kind of really remind, so it really did remind me of that particular you know particular places where the, where that cult where that particular kind of culture you know is represented in there. And even then, you know, the, these Chinatowns much like Firetown eventually came around to doing in the end at the end of the movie, um they cater to uh they not only just cater to Chinese Americans, they also cater to you know a wide wide variety of people from different cultures and different walks of life. So there is that to uh consider. And also kind of really interesting to consider because the voice actor or a voice actress, rather for uh, for Amber, Leah Lewis is Chinese herself. She was adopted from a Chinese orphanage over there. Grew up uh, in my hometown of Orlando, Florida, and uh, and so um, perhaps she might be able to relate to uh, that particular to that particular experience that a lot of uh, Chinese Americans experience.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think again, this story is sort of an interesting take on what it's like to immigrate to a whole new place experience sort of the pushback and the negativity and sort of that that level of distrust that level of xenophobia between different groups of people being shown you know, basically you know being people being xenophobic towards you and then ultimately, you know, creating sort of your own little bubble where you know society works in your favor, or at least you know, you you try to make society work at least a little bit better in your favor since you have more people who are like-minded and from similar backgrounds, all in one space. But at the same token, though, that also that little bubble can also be very limiting, uh, if anything, because of Just general differences of lifestyle and opinion between people who even share the same culture. And I think a a good segue, at least specifically discussing a point from this film, is the dynamic between Ember and her father, Bernie, in particular. Ember sort of had this inner turmoil, this inner rage in some in some respects as well. She had a lot of uh she had this moral dilemma. This 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 general, you know, dilemma that she's been experiencing. And this dilemma was sort of this dividing line between put, if you pardon the pun, putting her own wants and desires and her wanting to live out her own life as her own person independent of her family and Um, you know, in contrast between, you know, one, you know, this, this keeping the dream that her father had worked so hard to build alive via the fireplace and her eventually inheriting it as, you know, being the main shop owner and, you know, catering towards their customers and eventually letting Bernie retire And then of course, you know Wade sort of throws a monkey wrench into the works With the fact that he writes He writes all of these citations up on the building And the building is The the business is scheduled to be closed Because of all of these specific violations That have been going on within the building itself with Starting with the leak and then uh, Wade learning that the building was not completely up to code, and then a whole bunch of other s- situations, even directly from- uh, that even Ember indirectly reveals to him upon their first meeting. But yeah, that being said, I think as Ember and Wade sort of hang around each other more and get to learn a little bit more about themselves and each other, um- Wade is able to help Ember realize that this stress that she's been under, this sort of you know, this this sort of pushback that she's been feeling within herself, ultimately is the fact that, you know, she's been tasked with the job of keeping her father's dream alive. Even if it means completely sacrificing herself and her own wants and her own desires in order to protect her family. Again, I inc- I admire Ember's dedication to her family and I utterly adore just how much she loves her mother and father. But at the exact same time, as she, re- she slowly starts to come to terms with the fact... That what is good for the family isn't necessarily good specifically for herself. And that she ultimately needs some time in order to discover what exactly she wants to do with her life and have an opportunity to sort of take a step back and live out her own experiences and her own life, all while still supporting her family. At the same token, though, Ember, as she's sort of in this, this midst of this dilemma after she realizes it, but sort of, you know, you know, disregards it in in favor of going back to the shop and living the life essentially that her father wants for her, is that she, she says this really profound line with, it's something to the effect of, you know, living, making your own decisions, living your own life. Is considered a luxury, and that Wade has a level of of that his his life has been very privileged, considering the fact that he had parents who basically told him, "Oh, you know, Wade, you can do and be whoever you want and what whatever you set your mind to," as opposed to the narrative that her father had been constantly showing her. Uh, you know, as a kid, saying that, you know, one day this will all be yours. you know, you will inherit my shop, and you know you will continue the you'll continue the business and you will, you know, continue to keep our traditions and, you know, in addition to our business alive, even long after we're gone. So that being said, it has this. The reason why, of course, she's under this this amount of pressure is because the fact that neither of these options seem entirely good to her because of the fact that if, on you know, on one hand, if she follows her father's wishes, you know, she's doing something that's good for the family, but she's sacrificing herself, especially as she's not particularly good at customer service. And you know even with the you know even if the building the the business wasn't completely threatened uh to be closed just because of all of the the code violations that were were in the place apparently according to wade but the fact that she has a she had a pretty explosive temper uh when it comes to customer service probably would um cause a little bit of a stir in Firetown. Um, even if, of course, they knew that Ember was the beloved shopkeeper's daughter. Uh, so I feel very bad for her on that aspect. But at the same token, if she decides to take on this job as becoming a you know, a glassblower, even though she's living out her dream, at the same token though, she also felt like she would be disappointing and even harming her parents because of the fact that she comes from a culture and a background where what's good for the where you know what's good for the family is always good for me as opposed to the complete sort of independence that Wade grew up with once she sort of realizes you know that this this sort of middle ground between these two areas between being so selfless that you ultimately cause yourself harm and in a lot of ways being so selfish that you sort of forget your place in your culture and in your family and and forgetting your roots um in favor of independence you know, there there is ultimately a middle ground that needed to be struck with an ember, and that needs to be struck, period, in order to have your, in order to live out your own life as you please, but also to still help out the the people who helped you out when you were growing up.
1: Yeah, I can sadly relate to Ember uh, there, especially with. <laughs> Especially with customer service, you know. Uh, she's had her days and I've also had mine too, but um, but uh but she hers is in the convenience store, mine is in the theme parks, so um there is that, but also on the front of that um family dynamic and you know that dilemma of um choosing yourself or choosing your family it it reminds me of this um and uh, forgive me for using this term here. It reminds me of a rant, I think a rant that um, that my uh, dad kind of really had with me, I think, on the drive home one evening and um He kind of made it known to me that um he didn't really want me to go into like an art into like a, into a career in the arts because he did not think it would be uh, financially sustainable. He wanted me to go into, he wanted me to, you know, work in a job that allowed me to, that, uh, that, you know, pretty much got me to work with, got me to work with computers and whatnot because, uh, because he thought I was so good at it. But, uh, but no, I decided to go, I decided to try and try my hand in doing graphic design and such. And so, um, so I attended a course, uh, I attended like a few courses at Valencia College, never really got that far, you know, beyond that as far as, uh, as that's concerned. And then eventually I started focusing more on, uh, my first job at sea world and then of course now with the universal and you know he says i have this relaxed to meet i have kind of really have a bit of a relaxed view right now on my life and um he may not be wrong about that i'm going to be honest but um but honestly at this point it's really about you know how how i'm feeling versus how you know versus how like what i should be doing you know, to help, um, to help this and help my own family out. And it's kind of really, it's a difficult line. It's a difficult balance and a, to, it's a difficult balance to, to make. It's also a very difficult line to, um, to go through much like, um, if I can, if I can use a, a analogy here, it's much like trying to walk a tight rope and, uh, In a Nick Walenda style of fashion, there and just doing that over the Niagara over Niagara Falls and such. If this film's not necessarily a coming of age film, in any way, it's a coming of realization that you know, and do, do you choose yourself? Do you choose your own family? Do you what do you what do you do here? And you do, and of course, as you said, you have to find you have to find that middle ground between those two, trying to find a way to support your family, but at the same time pursuing your own interests, so that you can do, you can essentially do what you love there. And um, and that's a lot, and that's a thing that I think a lot of cultures, especially you know Asian cultures, like you know my own, my parents' culture, you know the Filipino culture, um, that is something that I think um, you know a lot of us Filipinos. Um, We kind of really try to uphold. We try to uphold, uh, and I'm saying we in reference to you know my nationality and the culture there, and not necessarily myself. But it's something that we Filipinos tend to uphold more so than our own interests. What we truly want to do, and uh, and and especially when it comes to running a family business. And that is, uh, and it becomes really difficult when your own offspring, this you know, wants to pursue their own interests and not and not your own. And uh, and not that it's not that it's wrong or anything. And not that it's it's not not that it's not going to you know help things any any better. You know, if you try and keep the business going for you know God knows how long. But but it's very interesting to see you know how that film portrays that decision and you know it's a ra- it's it's nice to see that you know portrayed in that in that sense but it, it also it, but it's only one but i think that's only one way of look, looking at it um forgive me for saying that but there but there are many other ways i think you know to kind of really find that common ground between or not common ground but middle ground between that between your family and, and yourself. And, but the most important thing here is just trying to find, you know, what are some of the things that you're ha- you're, what are some of the things that you're, you know, happy about doing, you know, in one area versus the other area. And, you know, which one do you want to, which one, which, uh, you know, which area do you really want to go into? And I think that's really the important thing to consider, especially, I think especially in the context of the film with the family dynamic between Ember and, uh, and Bernie there. So, yeah, a very interesting dynamic that, uh, sadly I can relate to. So from, uh from a very personal standpoint.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm, as always, we are definitely incredibly happy to have your insight and your own personal experience highlighted in this discussion, Adrian. So just in general, thank you for, uh, for contributing that here. But yeah, I mean as sort of to, you know, go back on what you had said here a little bit. There Ember's specific avenue of going off and doing her own thing while still of course, you know, being tied to her parents visiting, checking up, helping out when she's needed. You know, that avenue obviously as Adrian had said might not work for people specifically it, it's it's one solution it's it's you know some it's it's due to circumstance culture your own experiences the experience of your, of your parents it's it's sort of a messy intertwined situational c- circumstance but at the very least you know this is definitely one avenue and that this is the avenue that ember decided to take and ultimately it worked out in her favor where she ultimately decided that it was time for her to do what she wanted but at the same token though she didn't completely neglect uh her parents as well specifically with coming back immediately after her internship was over at least you know doing during a break in her internship and coming to visit them and helping out around the fireplace as she did before. She got this new position. So, yeah, again, ultimately, I, I don't think this film, you know, the decision that Ember made should be considered to be a monolith. I don't think the message overall is about, you know, uh, you know, always, you know, choose this route. And, you know, be, because at the same token, though, as I said, even... Some, depending on the circumstance, you know, sometimes choosing that option can either feel a little selfish or it can be or has a tendency to become that way. But at the same token, though, you know, again, this isn't a monolith. This is sort of just the situation that Ember was presented and the situation that she ultimately decides. And it, as I said before, it worked out in her favor. So, yeah, that being said, I, I just I think that this is... At least one uh, one good instance of an avenue and a solution between finding that sort of middle ground between helping those helping your parents or or your community or you know those around you who you know who raised you, who cared for you, you know, whatever the case is, as well as going off and living your life as your own independent person.
1: And I also think, you know, there again to piggyback off what you said here, there are still like a way, there are still ways to be able to pay for, you know, the sacrifices that you know your own parents have made. But there are many other ways you can do so, either by opening up a business of your own, uh, you know, doing freelance services, or doing something for the community that I that can be very impactful and not only beneficial and but also helpful to them in the long run there so there are many other ways to do that besides honoring your parents wishes your family's wishes on you know on such and such like whatever like whether it's a family business or or something else that they want you to do you know for the rest of your life so but there are really many other ways that you can you know you can help them out to to support them to honor them however you wanted to do it you know whether it's in whether it's um whether it's in graphic design whether it's in the arts whether it's in music wh- whatever like as long as you are supporting as long as you are supporting your family your your parents the other parts of your family and even your own immediate family too then that's really all that should matter doesn't matter if you're try- if they want you doesn't matter if um if they it doesn't matter if you're upholding, you know, you know, your family's wishes or something. It's not it's not it, it's not something that, you know, that is for it's obviously not something that is for everyone. But um but it, there are just there's just many other ways to be able to support to support yourself, to support your family, to support your community, to support society. And 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 it's it's more than, you know, upholding it's more than just honoring, you know, one's own wishes and all of that. And um yeah, pretty much about it.
2: Selflessness without self-sacrifice.
1: That's what I was trying to get to. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I guess sort of moving on to the and the next point here and this is also specifically, you know, in response to other uh Disney movies and at least, sort of the current route that Disney seems to uh, to be taking with its, its stories is that Elemental is a very fascinating film in the aspect of the fact that there is no clear villain in this story. If anything, the, the tension, the person who's causing the most tension. This is sort of more of, you know, a man or fire lady in this aspect Against self sort of story So nobody was really serving as, you know, a villainous sort of, you know A clear defined villainous role Um. Ultimately, you know, this is more of a story of the internal battle that Ember faces with herself as well as some of the concerns that she has observed within society in Element City So, yeah, I think ultimately this is more of a character against self and character against environment story which is incredibly fascinating Because I feel like, at least in the context of this film, it really works. Considering the fact that this is, you know, a rom com. uh, Fundamentally, it's it's a love story. You know, in addition to having a lot of fascinating societal commentary, you know, at its heart, it is a love story, and it's a it's it's a rom com, and it's an animated rom com at that. So you know. That being said, typically, you know, a, you know, comedy films, like, true, true straight-up comedy films and true straight-up romantic comedy films often don't really have a true antagonist, which I think is, you know, a, a smart play on the trope with this, or at least, you know, a, a smart nod to the, the you know, the standards of the genre, but at the same token, though, Having a character that blatantly, you know, causes all of the problems within Element City uh, or, you know, elevating, you know, the the elevating the person who caused the leak in the shop um, or, you know, the person who accidentally turned on the water to fire, uh, Fire Town specifically, rather. Or making Wade a villain, or making water people, or f- fire people, or Bernie, or making a specific character or a specific group of characters a bad guy. I think it's, I think it, it, it overall, I think it's incredibly smart. It's a As as I said, it's, it's a nod to the trope, but it's also an interesting nuance, considering the fact that this is more of a story about how a character navigates... A situation and an environment as opposed to just, you know, clashing between uh, two or more characters. Which is, I mean, it's interesting because I I guess we'll get more into the marketing of this film a little bit later. But once the, the plot line of finding out where the leak starts and then trying to repair it from there, you know, once... Ember and Wade sort of make that decision, I was almost sort of thinking about this, like, oh, this is a bellwether situation. Like, again, you know, taking it, nodding it sort of off to, uh, basing it off of Zootopia again. Like, oh, you know, this is going to be a story where these characters ultimately find out the person or people who are directly responsible for, you know, causing water to run in Firetown and causing the shop's, you know leak to get worse and worse uh with every single day and they're going to you know Wade and Ember are going to put a stop to it and I'm like no that's actually not the direction the film took in fact the water was probably was actually just caused by um I believe at least it was visually elaborated that it was just caused by transportation uh with some of the water trains just overflowing uh, into the once dry canal and then going through a you know a faulty crack in the walls of a of a dam that had been built between you know the main city and its outskirts so i think you know in, in general that strategy considering the fact that they put more of an emphasis between internal struggle And societal struggle, as opposed to just the struggle between one or two characters, I think is incredibly effective for this film in particular. And I like the fact that even Bernie isn't a true villain either. Because ultimately, you know, he just wants what's best for his daughter. He just wants to preserve his culture. He just wants to be... You know, seen and respected And all of these things are very good things And again, there are certain circumstances Where there are, I mean Nemona, I guess, for for example Sort of bring up something that, you know, you uh, Something something's very close to your heart, Adrian But Ballister's partner um, Whose name is unfortunately slipping my mind um, <laughs> Ambrosius? Yes, Ambrosius, thank you. Um, Ambrosius, even though he is, you know, a good guy, quote-unquote, he's still an antagonist between Nimona and Ballister's mission because of the fact that, A, he was brainwashed, and, you know, B, before he even knew more about Nimona, he was, you know, the kind of person... He he was the ultimately the one who would, who stepped it up, at, you know, the step of the mission from his higher ups. That you know, oh, go after the escaped convict. Um, so he was ultimately just doing what he thought was was right. And um, so yeah. I, I, again, of course, there's many other examples, but that's just the one that definitely came to mind. Especially again, considering the fact that you're such a you're such a big Namona fan, Adrian. But, yeah, there are instances where good characters can become not necessarily villains, but rather antagonists to uh, the wishes of the main character. But in this film, we technically don't really get even the the fake-out villain sort of role. We we just kind of play it straight, Um, which, as I keep saying, I personally feel like was a very smart decision um from what i've heard about a lot of other disney releases including at least again from through speculation including the most recent release wish they don't really have a true villain role defined and i personally think that you know maybe that trope could become a little bit boring after a while um but at the same token, though, you know, I'm not the people involved with, you know, Disney's original IP storytelling department. Plus, at the same token, though, maybe all, maybe it worked for Wish. I don't know. But, and maybe it'll work for all the subsequent films that come after with the exact same, you know, who who want to use that same trope. I don't know, but at the same token, though I, I think it's it's uh, to sort of bring up an old phrase of mine. It's a bit too early to tell, but even still, it, it could have the possibility to become a little bit repetitive. But at least in the case of Elemental, I think you know, completely omitting a traditional villainous role was the smartest decision that could have been made.
1: I love a good Namona comparison or reference there. So going on you for um going on you for. um Going back to my favorite film of um, one one of my favorite films of all time there. Um, Yeah, thank you. Uh, (laughs) But to go back to that comparison between Zootopia and Elemental, how it handles racism and xenophobia and at at its core, and, you know, handling and embracing our differences. This is where the storylines diverge from each other. Zootopia, has of course they it kind of has the it does have a fill in later on with bellwether, you know, stoking fear and division and racism against the predators and the prey it within the namesake Zootopia metropolis, whereas with Elemental, this is kind of really more, I guess um not I. I'm not sure if I'm gonna use the I'm not sure if I'm gonna the right terms, but it's either systemic or systematic. And uh but and it's kind of really in Im- and in a way it's kind of you know implied that the that the elements, you know, they don't always get along with each other and they've had to work out their own differences and such. I mean with the um at the um at the train station, well not at the train station, but at the um at the um at the immigration gate of sorts. Um, I think Ellis, I- the Ellis Island of Element City, if I'm using the correct term for that. But but over there, as they, as all of the elements from all their different, all their different lands, as they come into, as they come into Element City, you know, um, there are, there's, of course, this large mural hanging over, like, hanging overhead there. The first wave depicting the water people, the water elements, you know, coming coming over to Element City and establishing it. The second wave uh, consisting of the earth elements coming into Element City, and then the third wave being the air element coming into Element City. And then there's of course this fourth element, which is not portrayed in the mural, but uh, but is represented by Bernie and Cinder coming into Element City. Kind of in a way it represents this fourth wave of elements uh, immigrating into this mother nature of a metropolis that is Element city there. Back to when it was back to the point of you know, the elements not quite getting along with each other. They were able to work out their differences, you know, I, I mean, that's what I think. At least you know, they were able to do work out their differences and even embrace their own differences in a way that you know benefited all of them. Uh, when when the fire elements came into Element City, you know, it was kind of it, to them it was a bit of a interesting situation, a bit of a precarious kind of a situation. Trying to trying to make a part of their cultures and uh, and society in general, for whatever reason, it has never quite really worked. And and um, and in a way, you know, as we established er- early on in this discussion, you know. They were kind of really segregated into their own own, uh, I guess, their own district of sorts called Fire Town. And uh, even to that point, they weren't, you know, the Fireish people. They weren't even allowed to enter certain functions of uh, Element City. Like for example, um, Ember and Bernie, you know, pre- being prohibited from in- entering the train station where the uh, the vivisteria flower um was being uh displayed and of course um bernie has a bit of a brouhaha bit of a um bit of a fracas with the security guard over there i don't remember if that security guard was of the earth element or something earth element or an air element i'm not quite sure but um but of course um that didn't that never sat well with him and it didn't sit well with with ember either and you know of course it is established. of course, um that's been established that you know she's always wanted to see this and uh and, you know through through Gail and through Wade, you know, she's finally able to see this um this particular flower for herself uh, later on in that film. And uh and, you know it's, it's it's there's a line in there, I think it goes along the lines of uh you've done so many uh, you've you've kind of really done you know, so any things by the rules that you think uh, in your life, why not do something? I guess, why not Why not do something that you really wanted to do? And, uh, and, I, and uh, that's when we get to see, you know, Amber see those um, prestigious flowers uh, for herself there.
2: Yeah, and of course, we get a very beautiful scene not only emotionally touching but also very visually stunning as well again as i said earlier in this discussion this movie is uh is definitely eye candy and i think that even though it it follows a relatively uh, standard style of of animation pretty much you know following um disney's sort of standard style and as well as a combination between like pixar's uh newer style that it had uh exhibited with turning red and luca for instance at the exact same time you know this movie i think has a lot of really fascinating just animation in general with it i and you know i, I wanted to get into this conversation as well but even with my more pessimistic view initially of the film, if there was anything that I had to say is that it was going to have some pretty fantastic animation. Because, I mean, if you, if you really break it down, when it comes to the stuff you sort of learn in, like, animation school, you know, you, you learn pretty quickly that animating fire and water are two of the hardest things to animate. One of my best friends, actually, animated both for uh, one for his, his junior film and then one for his senior film the following year. Animated a, a flood the first, uh, the, the second year we did film. We, we made a film and then animated uh, a forest fire in the, in the third. Uh, so yeah, that being said, fire and water are incredibly hard things to animate. So even with the crutch... Um, of three D animation and three, you know, three D models and everything, you know, maintaining, um, you know, not having to worry about, you know, drawing the same thing over and over again and keeping the look consistent because it's it's you know just one model that you're you're manipulating, e- you know, even with that. At the same token, though, you still have to animate fire and water as if it were, you know, not only. It's, it's it's you know it's it's base form, but also if it was a person. So yeah, that that being said, just the fact that Pixar was able to pull that off, and was able to pull it off relatively well, I I might say, actually quite well, I I'd say. You know who? <laughs> what am I doing? Being modest? You know, as I said, this this film is eye candy. I think that's something that you know people don't really talk about enough with this film as well. Not only, of course, all of the, you know, the deep story aspects, but also just how darn pretty it is and how difficult it was to actually animate these characters. At the very least, you know, with Ember and Wade and just fire and water people specifically in general. That being said, I I just, I think that the reviews were, were, were pretty correct when it comes to uh, this film sp- being a quote-unquote masterpiece. But yeah, I think it's it's definitely some pretty groundbreaking uh, animation, even though the style is relatively similar to instances we've seen in the past.
1: And when it comes to Pixar, you can always look to them to uh, break new ground in, uh, in animation, especially when it comes to uh, CGI 3D animation. Even then, you know, yeah, you mentioned it. Fire and water are the two most difficult ele- two most difficult natural elements to uh, animate in, in, not just in 3D animation, but also animation in general. Even then, um, Pixar was, you know, they had to make their own creative decisions on how to be, on how to portray these element characters, uh, Ember and Wade, and also all the and the many other residents and citizens of Element City. And trying to portray these these elements, uh, fire, water, air, earth, trying to portray these elements in such an accurate, uh, in such a accurate and artistic way. Well, not really are accurate way, but more of like an like an like an artistic and authentic way possible that showcased the personality of those characters, uh, be it their voice or or uh, or whatnot. Uh, I I think I read I read up an article on on the film there that uh, Ember's uh, persona- I guess Ember's appearance was based on her smoky voice here, uh, Leah Lewis's voice in particular, and uh, and so uh, that's how she kind of really got her own uh, That's how she got her own look at, as a part of that film there. Uh, that's one p- in particular instance in. That's one particular instance there. Um. Another thing is, uh, again, the creative decision they had to make here, and you know the transparency of the water, and you know how and everything else that went into it. Uh, there is a documentary on Disney Plus called "Good Chemistry: The Making of Elemental." That um, that it, the what, so even though I have not, I which I have not watched yet, but um, but I'm I'm sure it uh, it it goes into it has some very good insight on on how the film was made and uh, certain choices the animators the character designers everybody a part of the team creating elemental um made those uh, how, you know how they came to those decisions on on preference portray- of those uh, of those characters and even portraying element city in general
2: yeah that's definitely something that uh, I hope to uh, give a little bit of a watch myself especially since uh uh you know me i'm a, I'm a sucker for uh, all those behind the scenes uh sort of uh sort of things i always like those elements <laughs> pardon the pun uh because of course you know as a filmmaker myself it just it allows me to see inside the head at least uh partially of the people who were involved in the production and uh gives me some general Advice, tips, and uh, inspiration for my own projects.
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, I I don't know if there is an art book on Elemental. I I think it might be. Um, I think that might be out already. I'm not sure. I'll have to check on that. But it's also. But if there is an art book on Elemental, I'm sure it's another great resource to look into as to uh, the certain creative decisions and choices made as a part of that film. Now, the marketing for this film here. Uh, we made comparisons to to Sotobia. The marketing kind of almost made it out to be like an ex, like almost an exact repeat of that particular film. but uh, even with the similar topics, it still is very much its own thing. But you know, based on uh, I guess based on the reactions that we've um that I guess we've heard about and even speculated on on this podcast, um it was rather poor. So was it you know, what is it? What was it about the marketing that you know fell flat, at least, uh, at least for consumers and for us moviegoers, or and is it a message from Sotoby that we needed to hear again, but in a different, I guess, in a different, uh, and in a different story, in a different style, in that matter?
2: As we've talked about in in prior episodes, the marketing for this movie, to some degree, I think it did a little bit of a disservice because again as we, as you said even though it definitely has a lot of similar themes and messages from zootopia that were either re elaborated upon done better um discussed in a different way however you know you you wanna want to call it you know at the same token, though, this is still very much its own film. Plus, in, adi- in addition to that, I, at the very least, think that it sort of downplayed its romantic comediness to some degree. Because I think it didn't really tease a lot about, you know, the incredibly important messages that it that it wanted to discuss but it also kind of downplayed its own you know the film's quote-unquote sort of classification the thing that made it sort of stand out and made it different at least plot-wise from Zootopia the fact that this is this is a love story and not you know a repeat again of Zootopia because Zootopia very much had sort of a You know, we need to find out what's going on in the city and we need to solve this mystery. Um, Whereas Elemental was more of, again, as a romantic comedy and more of just a general societal commentary and, you know, a message on staying true to yourself, but also not forgetting, you know, your culture and who you are and and helping out those around you. So, yeah, again, even though it definitely did have sort of its similarities, at the same token, though, the fact that it was being advertised as a, you know, we need to solve a mystery or we need to save the city film, again, I think was definitely a bit of a disservice to it. I think a lot more people would have gone out to see this movie if they actually got a a truer taste. At least, you you know, when it comes to the States. I think a lot more people would have actually, you know, I think the film would have just done better in general. Had they had teased more about what makes this film unique. Rather than, oh, it's Zootopia, but instead of animal people, it's now element people having a lot of similar themes to zootopia isn't a bad thing especially since i you know i would say we need to hear i think just the world needs to needs to know that you know difference is something you know regardless of whether we're talking about it in the context of you know racism xenophobia sexism ableism you know whatever you know, whatever the form of discrimination is, you know, or just you know, general you know, discrimination in general, you know, in order to properly combat that, we don't want, we shouldn't erase difference, but rather create a more equitable world where difference is not only accepted, but also celebrated and things are changed to make the world more adaptable for difference as opposed to just catering to one group over another. So, you know, yeah, I, I think that message definitely needs to be heard again. Having that sort of carry over from the Zootopia era, I think is it was something that was very smart, um, especially since I think, at, at least again, from my own perspective, this film did a little bit, did that a little bit better than Zootopia did at the same time from a marketing standpoint because you know that was that aspect of the film was kind of downplayed. Um it, it almost seemed like it was it was just a repeat of the previous movie as opposed to something that was entirely new, even though it touched base with some of the similar themes.
1: And I kind of wanted to point out, and forgive me for using political analogies here. So, Toby was released towards the end of the Barack Obama presidency and, and as we were on the precipice of a Donald Trump presidency. And even then, you know, I guess the message never quite got, a, you know, never quite got across, I guess, in that a- aspect there. To hear it again post in the post-Trump and post-pandemic era, might be inaccurate to say post-pandemic because uh, technically COVID-19 is still around us. And, yeah, you know, to some extent. But in a post pandemic era and in a post Trump era and in the era of Joe Biden as president, maybe it was uh, maybe it was necessary to hear that message again. Um, from a from a film that kind of really catered a little bit more into the furry community to something that was, you know, more abstract with um, you know, with the natural elements. When you disregard the the shoddy marketing that um that preceded the film and surrounding the film after the film it is a message that is worth you know repeating that we can that you know especially when it comes to dealing with people of different cultures even with different sexualities too um as within the lgbtqia plus community that uh well I will throw in amona here again that you know Nemona did um I think the did quite well as a queer story but I but uh, back to Elemental, you know, embracing, uh, working out and embracing the differences between yourself and people of different cultures, different sexualities, different races, different everything. Um, it's something that just needs to be heard, you know, once again, you know, in, in this uh, society, in this uh, functioning democracy that is the United States of America and even elsewhere around the world, too, where democracy functions, too. It's important to be able to hear that message and then, you know, remind yourself that not all, not all of us, you know, look alike, not all of us think the same thing or do the same, uh, the same as others. And it's important to, you know, understand, you know, perspectives from many different people on how they live, how they work, how they play and, uh, how they get across the aisle and such when it comes to certain situations and it's very important. And obviously this movie was a, had a very important message that, um, that of course, you know, we had to be reminded of time and time again. And, you know, I don't think it would be wrong to say that we may have, we may even have more films, you know, down the line that may even address this in, in different ways in terms of storytelling and, and getting the message across but um but like I said, uh, Elemental may have done its job a little bit better than uh, than what Zootopia did.
2: Yeah, I uh I agree, Adrian. Very much agree. So uh yeah, that's uh that's elemental in a uh hour long nutshell, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I'm surprised we had a lot more to say about this film, and especially given the I guess early on I, I brought up my own experiences there. So um uh, one more thing before we end this discussion here. Um we're we're almost into award season here. How do you think Elemental is going to do? You know, with the BAFTAs, the Golden Globes, and even the even the the Holy Grail of uh, movies and all that, uh, the Oscars. How do you how well do you think it will fare?
2: I mean, again, if anything, knowing that it's a Disney property, um, I think that you know, even if it doesn't wind up taking any awards this season i think specifically at the very least it will be nominated pretty much for everything um you know at the at the very least for the golden globe and the oscars again i think it's <laughs> even though i was the one who kind of brought up this point um in the in the in the discussion notes that we were preparing before we started this conversation to begin with i again i think it's still a little bit too early to tell as in who specifically Will be going home with said prizes at the end of next year's award season, as as well as the fact that just you know who would even be nominated to begin with, but I think that this movie has a pretty fair chance of uh, of possibly taking one if not more of said prizes. Even though I'm, I'm usually very kind of meh about Disney victories, when it comes to uh, when it when it comes to Os- the Oscars and the Golden Globes and the Baftas and just you know award season, uh, if Elemental does wind up taking home one or more awards, I don't think I'll be disappointed. Just considering the fact that. If anything, this movie definitely is a pretty groundbreaking feat of visual storytelling. Yeah, if anything, just for the way that it was animated, and just for the way that Pixar was once again sort of playing, uh, it was sort of going back to its roots, and you know, telling constantly telling itself that it can that it can you know improve upon. The work that it does and just constantly outdoes itself with just how breathtaking and how incredibly animated their 3D animation is. And again, that legacy was started all the way back with Toy Story and, you know, now here we are at Elemental. And uh, and that legacy still, at least to some extent, continues. Mm -hmm
1: secretly and this will be an open secret i guess on this podcast here but i'm hoping Monet is nominated for best animated feature and, and i i hope out of spite for disney that it will win that award so um <laughs> i hope so too
2: i hope so too i mean <laughs> yeah i mean again i don't think i'll be disappointed if elemental you know wins something but the same token though just, again just between you and i i i hope that uh Nimona, or at the least, very least, somebody else uh, takes home uh, <laughs> takes home at least uh, one or more of the awards as well. Give everyone a, a fair shot at, a, at an award this season, and not just have uh, Disney just you know running away with with uh, with award season as it usually does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was Elemental. It is now available to stream. On Disney+, then the documentary, the making of uh documentary, Good good Chemistry, the making of Elemental, is also available to stream on that particular service. When we come back, uh, it is a love story through text message and Celine Dion. Love Again, starring Sam Hugan and Priyanka Chopra-Jonas. I have my own take on that film in, in just a couple of moments here on the Zachary Pizza Show. We'll be right back.
0: coming up on the Zachary and Peaches show text messages and the music of Celine Dion tell the love story of a struggling journalist and a morning children's book author and illustrator adrian shines an honest light on the romantic comedy drama love again and shares his opinion on the film storyline the romance continues next
2: I discussed about the Disney Pixar film, Elemental, and how it got across its message of embracing the many differences that make up society. This week, we're asking you, how did Elemental do in expressing its themes compared to another Disney animated film, Zootopia? Spotify listeners, let us know through the Q&A feature on your mobile device. Otherwise, reply to this episode's recap entry on DeviantArt and Tumblr through Adrian's profile on both platforms, at adrianmata 26 Or to our show's Instagram and Threads accounts, at Zachary and Peaches. The Zachary and Peaches Show resumes in just a moment.
0: It's time for more animation.
2: This is kind of like the, the ultimate journey between Resco and Haida, because Finally, the man worked up the courage to ask her out, and she said yes.
0: More autism. I've done like a, I've done like a
1: playlist slash mixtape on Spotify for it. Um, I've started a fanfic on it that's, I'm trying to get um, off and running here, where um, is kind of really trying to deal with the aftermath of the events in the movie. And more everything else.
2: Do you honestly want, do you honestly, <laughs> you, you want to know what I'm going to say? Spirit Halloween could open in freaking February, and I would not care. I would be in there all the freaking damn time.
0: Season two of the Zachary and Peaches Show. New episodes every Tuesday on most major podcast platforms. Animation, autism, and now, everything else. The Zachary and Peaches Show continues.
1: We're back with more of the Zachary and Peaches Show, and it is on to something completely different. Not quite completely different in terms of our genre, but uh, we're, But uh, I'm going to have my own little take on another rom-com that was released earlier uh, this year, uh, released in, uh, released, in uh, released earlier this summer, actually. And it's about, um, it's basically about text messages and the music of Celine Dion. And it is called Love Again. It stars Sam Heughan and Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Uh, Emma, do you have the uh, synopsis for, for this particular song?
2: Yes, I do right here. Uh, Mira Ray. A children's book author and illustrator is mourning over the untimely and tragic death of her fiancé, John, as she tries to complete another installment of her series for her publisher. Rob Burns, a journalist for a news organization, seems to have lost the heart within his writing after getting dumped by his ex-fiancé before their wedding. Assigned a work phone connected to Mira's late fiancé's phone number and to write a profile on the acclaimed Canadian vocalist Celine Dion. Rob begins to receive mysterious but honest and thoughtful text messages from Mira herself and takes the chance of trying to track her down, all the way where he starts to hear the meaning of the music once more. These two struggling people find a way to love again and complete their works, or has love ended for the both of them? And, of course, we uh, we find that out in... The movie, but knowing how many rom-coms go, I can, I probably know the answer, but I will still keep my mouth shut.
1: Okay, <laughs>
2: especially since I haven't seen this movie,
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say this right off the bat. This is kind of really a middle of the road uh, rom-com for me, uh, especially even with the even with the star power that uh, that Celine Dion herself, her being an acclaimed Canadian pop uh, vocalist. And I say pop vocalist because uh, she doesn't she doesn't just sing. she can sing first of all, she can sing. and um, and she's like gone to the highs, and highs, even the lows, I think the lows and lows too with her voice too. and um, and this is, of course the first the first uh, feature film feature film role for her. And even this comes after her, um, well, this was filmed before her uh, diagnosis of stiff person syndrome uh, last year. But this this comes out, of course, uh, after that. So, um, in any way, um, something good to come out of this, uh, out of the uh, out of her personal life, uh, considering what she had been going, considering the health problems she had been going through in the past year. Now, about the film, uh, it is based on, it is based on a German film, a ger- another German rom com called uh, SMS for D, and that is English for text for you, which also happens to be. The original English title, which happens to be the original title for "Love Again," of course, the the, t- the name changed to uh, "It's All Coming Back to Me," named after the song that Dion covered so famously called "It's All Coming Back to Me" now, uh, from her 1996 album "Falling into You," and then it was retitled to its current name, and that is of course uh, "Love Again." So, of course, much of the film, you know, being a remake of the uh, the german film uh which uh for brevity i'm going to refer to as text for you uh but it really borrows a lot from that particular film here uh of course the story lot the basic premise here you know love love pretty much uh kind of really flourishes um first through text messages and of course you know you know the people and the people in question meeting, you know eventually meeting up and you know having a connection of sorts so, um, so obviously we go through the storyline, of course, um, and, uh, of course, Mira Ray, you know, grieving the loss of her fiance, John, and Rob Burns, you know, kind of really in a bit of a rut with his writing when he is assigned to write a profile on Celine Dion, and, um, and, you know, if he doesn't, if, if it doesn't come out the way, you know, his, um, I guess I guess the way his editor or or um or his boss wants it to, then of course he might be you know he he's going to be out of a the job there. Of course, the storyline goes on, and you know, um, he's given this uh, this corporate phone uh by his by, you know from his workplace you know to kind of really keep you know you know for collaboration I guess between workmates and also surveillance from from his higher ups um of course um Rob is kind of really a little bit uh you know he's kind of you know not too enthused about about the power of love here and uh, and I think it's kind of really best exemplified I think with the, you know the press conference that Celine Dion has as part of her um part of her upcoming tour you know portrayed of course portrayed in the film um when he asks her, uh, you know, about, you know, the lyrics that she's saying, so um one particular lyric from uh, that's the way it is. love comes to those who believe it." And then another song that I don't remember the name of lot the time I had, the lyric, you know, one of those lyrics goes, "Love is ended, Something along, yada, 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 something along those lines. And he asks her, do you really believe in the things that you say?" And Celine's response is that, you know, Rob doesn't know anything about love. You know, he doesn't know anything about the many, I guess the many intricacies, the complexities, the nuances about love. And it's, um, very interesting response because love has a lot of different kind of love has many different connotations for many people. Um, we kind of really, we kind of really took, we did talk about elemental in a bit of a, and it took us like about an hour to, to do that discussion there. And, uh, and you know, the many capacities, you know, but you know, with Ember and Wade's relationship and all that, and you know, and all of that here. But, uh, but I think with uh, but back to love again here, um, you know, these um, these text messages that Rob receives from Mira, not knowing it is her on the other line, you know, he decides he's going to track her down. Well, not track her down, but he, you know, he wants to find out who's sending those text messages. To his work phone number, and so and so he and his he and his uh, co-worker they go to this bar, and um, and he spots um, this woman. Of course, uh, the woman in question being Mirai herself, and um, of course uh, she already has a date, uh, and uh, of course uh, that date is none other than Nick Jonas playing a character named Joel. Which is kind of really a bit of an immersion breaking moment in the film, because um, if you're not quite aware, Nick and Priyanka they are married. They um they of course got married a few years back, and of course Nick had uh, Nick kind of really signed on to do this uh, bit of a cameo role in this film, and uh, he plays this uh, sexually driven guy, bit of a jock, bit of a jerk too, and um you know he's you know Mira is looking for something that. Obviously, uh, Joel does not have that she's looking for anyway, and uh, yeah, so she dumps him, and so um, and so uh, that's the that's the one particular moment I wanted to bring up in the film here, but it was just a bit of an immersion breaker. I, I don't know if it really I, it might have affected my I guess my I guess my viewing my perspective of that film, but uh, but anyway, um. You know, we go along with the storyline, Rob has this interview with Celine that, you know, he tries to conduct, but of course, you know, Celine, being the person that she is, you know, she kind of really detects this, um, Rob's feelings about love, and, you know, he's kind of really, uh, cynical, and of course, uh, based on, you know, the press conference, uh, that press conference scene from earlier, he's not quite, um, he's kind of really cynical about it, and so we just, and so, um, she tries to help him out and uh, and tries to you know with his situation and uh, and of course you know he kind of really opens up about you know these mysterious text messages and and whatnot and uh, um, but of course you know he kind of runs out of time to do the interview and you know but of course Celine encourages him to try try this again you know when he has found his heart when once he's worked out those issues over there. So uh of course he goes out he goes out to the met uh and sees this uh, sees this particular opera I think Orp- Orpheus and Eurydice is the uh, opera in question there but I have to watch that film again to find out if that is the case or not but uh but he's able to, but he's but he goes to all those performances of this specific opera and finally he meets the woman in question Mira Ray and of course they find a lot of things in common they um they are compatible, and uh, of course, Mira Ray asked this, "Would you rather?" kind of question. That's kind of really a bit of a running gag throughout the film, and of course, kind of really finds a little bit of a kind of goes full circle uh, in a post-credit scene. There, they um, they make out, they they connect, they have a good time, and um, you know, then you know, the, sometime after, um, sometime afterwards, uh, Mira discovers. The, the computer that Rob has in, in in, I guess in his apartment that they're in and and she sees those texts that she was that she um, that she made to John's phone number, not knowing that that it's actually Rob's work phone number. And now she feels um, now she, it's just not a very good feeling. It's not a. It's a very sick kind of feeling that she has against him, and and so the relationship it seems has ended from there. And she and she asks him not to not to make any contact with her again. So afterwards, um, some time passes, and then uh, of course, um, instead of writing this profile on Celine Dion, he instead. Uh, Rob instead he writes about you know how how the music how her music has transformed how it has changed him and how that affected you know this newfound relationship that he had with Mira and you know and in that you know in writing this um, he notes of this uh, he notes of the um, the moment that he started to hear the music started to hear the music. He started to listen very closely about the tr- about the meaning of love and how it and how in all his new ones ways, you know, it can work, it can work for you, it can work for you know, for the other person, really. So um and so of course that that essay gets published, he gets a little bit of a public ratting out from um from his boss but um but he's but uh, but it's a bit of a conflicting display there. He kind of really he loves this um uh, his boss actually loves that uh he and uh and on top of that the science, you know, the podcast that Rob wanted to do early on in the film, he's going to get that opportunity. And so there we go. So um and then at the end of the film, uh Rob tries to find Mira once again at the at the place he he started to hear that music hear the music once more. And then, of course, um, we get this. um, Of course, the film ends. They share, they embrace, they share a kiss, and of course, it segues into a live performance of uh, "It's All Coming Back to Me Now" from uh, Celine Dion herself, and uh, in disputes with some of the um, lip syncs from the uh, from the cast members of the film, including Priyanka and Sam themselves. And uh, yeah, fun. It was just a nice little. In anything, it was just a nice little detour. I think to uh i think as part of my viewing um that particular i guess on that particular evening that i was able to watch it I think it was like a couple i think it was like a couple months ago that i that i was able to see it but for for what the film was worth um i think it was a very good film despite what the critics have said and um this was a this was a nice film not necessarily a great film by any means but um but it was a very nice. It was a very. It was a very nice view, nonetheless, and to and even with you know, the way it interpreted the story, in and finding a way to involve Celine Dion herself, uh, and have her play a role in the romance between Rob and Mira. I think that's something. Um, that's something a little bit noteworthy, and um, just. Uh, just a good film. Just a good film in general. Nothing too, um, nothing too special about it, but, other than uh, Celine Dion's appearance in there. But, um, but, uh, but a good one nonetheless.
2: Yeah. Sometimes, you know, not. I, I think some people kind of seem to forget, at least to some degree, that you know, not every film you're going to watch, uh, has to be a cinematic masterpiece. And in fact, you know. There are plenty of films that are or should be considered quote-unquote good films that, you know, that are not cinematic masterpieces. And that, you know, we should be okay with enjoying something that's a little tried and true or a little silly or a little, you know, whatever the circumstances. So I think this is a, a classic example of that where... Maybe it wasn't, you know, the greatest movie to ever come out of Hollywood, but at the same token, though, it was still, nonetheless, a good watch that had a lot of interesting nuances, Uh, specifically, as you said, with uh, Celine Dion's involvement in the two characters getting together, uh, I think, was a rather interesting touch, and if anything you know it was brain popcorn and it was a it was a cute little watch so yeah i'm glad that uh, i'm glad that you got the opportunity to uh to give it a try
1: yeah definitely and she also recorded some new music as well the, the, the title track to the film of course called love again um it's a good it is a good airy ballad my personal favorite though is the upbeat song called the gift and that plays at the beginning of the film where uh, mira and john they're kind of really flirting with each other and everything before his untimely um accident that um fatally injures him. It's a really good upbeat song. Uh middle of the road I suppose, but uh but it really speaks to you know it this you know with the upbeat production and whatnot there are lyrics about you know how love how love can you know how love is love really is the gift and you know the many ways it brings It brings us together, and and everything, and just everything else about it, you know, within those lyrics. Anyway, however, we want to interpret it, but uh, but yeah, the she recorded some new music for the film. There's also a bunch of other pieces of music, um, from her that um that that is interspersed throughout the film. Um, um, and I also want to say, uh, there's also another song on there called uh, "I'll Be," that is also another one of my favorites too. It kind of really almost a bit of a sequel of sorts to uh. To this uh, Mega Smash hit from the movie Titanic, called uh, "My Heart Will Go On," and uh, of course we've, uh, you probably may have heard about it. You may have probably heard about that song at one point or another in your life, anyway. But uh, yeah, one more thing about the uh, one more thing about love again here. Um, I did mention it was based on the film uh, SMS for Deke, also known as Text for You. That itself was uh, based on a book uh, uh, of the same name by Sophie Kramer. So um, so um. Props to her for writing that uh, props to the filmmakers of the original German film and uh, props to the, uh, the people that uh, made uh, love again and everybody involved in, <laughs> in those two films and, uh, and all of that. So um, yeah, nice middle road, romantic comedy, film, drama, whatever, but, but um, just a, just a good watch uh, to get into like on a, on a nice evening. So, yeah. Um love again is of course available to stream, currently available to stream on Netflix, and uh there is that. Anything else you gotta say, Emma?
2: Yep, think we uh we covered all we covered all our bases.
1: All right, so uh that is it for the Zachary and PJ show for this week. Next week, we're gonna get into our favorite holiday specials, our favorite holiday animated specials, be it from being movies, TV shows, Whatever we're gonna discuss all about that next week, and I'm very much looking forward to um to that particular discussion, especially what you're gonna be uh, bringing up uh, next week as well, Emma.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I if anything, you know, the the fact that we uh, kind of decided to carry on our tradition, um, so to speak, of you know making the last episode of our uh, of the first half of our season uh, be a very personal one, I think is, is uh, a very fun tradition, and I'm glad we're kind of doing that again, especially in the spirit of the season, because what is Christmas, what is the December holiday season without tradition? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that being said, it'll be interesting getting to discuss uh, all of our favorite uh, wintry holiday specials and uh, movies, specifically, um, before we uh, before we wrap up for our uh, midseason hiatus. So that's going to be that's going to be great. And uh, but you know, until then, uh, I'm Emma Settles,
1: and I am Adrian Mata. That's the Zachary and Pizza Show for this week. We'll hope to see, we'll hope to see you next week for another episode of our little show here so for right now it's goodbye and uh yeah happy viewing
2: (laughs) (laughs) bye
0: This is Jared Harris speaking for The Saccharine Peaches Show. Produced, edited, and co hosted by Adrian Mata, and co hosted with Emma Settles. The Saccharine Peaches Show is a Sackland original podcast.